Grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast bringing you true crime from around the world. host Cambo, grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island and as you know it is another one of those hundreds of true crime podcasts. Hi Islanders, hope you're all taking care of yourselves and are well. Sorry I'm a little bit late this week but uh, yeah things happened. Tonight I have what would be called a hometown murder for me or really murders. Anyway, tonight I will reference, and let's get stuck straight into it, the Sydney Morning Herald and some court records. That's all this week. Okay, now, first off, I need to clear up something from last week where I mentioned that Kate Healy, or McCann, said that she thought Madeline would have given her abductors her tuppence worth. Now, I said that the forums I had read were trying to say that tuppence was slang, and it is slang for a young girl's vagina, that Kate was probably suffering from maybe a Freudian slip. And instead of meaning Madeline was giving them a hard time, she was giving them her vagina's worth. Now, I think I did mention you need your tinfoil hat for that one, but I wanted to convey how much noise there is in this case, or conspiracy theories, whatever. But I mentioned it in relation to how she described Madeline's genitals in her book. Now, we have the same saying in Australia, and I'm sure around the world, that you give your two cents worth. We did have, actually, we had tuppence in Australia a while back, but we sort of got out of the dark ages and went decimal. It's just happened to be one of those rabbit holes I went down when researching statement analysis of Kate and Jerry. Okay, so I hope that clears up. I've got so many messages over that one. I hope that does clear it up, though. Now, let's get stuck into this week's case. Like I said, this one is pretty much a hometown murder. It happened in Glenfield, 1983, Roy Watts Road, at the Glenfield Special School for Handicapped Children. Now, that's in New South Wales, Australia. It was just down the road from where... I lived and next door to where I went to school. Anyway, and this was called a special school for handicapped children back in the day. I don't know what it's called now. I think it's just a school. On Friday morning, the 22nd of April, I was being driven to school in the ZJ Fairlane and what a car. And as we drove down Quarter Sessions Road, we could see all this commotion at the Glenfield Special School. Police cars and what was probably unmarked detective cars were parked all around the entry to the school. Now, like I said, I went to Hurlston, which was just off Quarter Sessions Road on Roy Watts Road. Now, next door to the special school, that was a big rural part of Glenfield. I mentioned this part of Glenfield before in the Wally Mellish episode. Now, it is quite rural or semi-rural. Hurlston and the special school were on vast acreages. Now, there was no social media back then, and I hadn't been listening to the news on the radio. But as I got to school, or probably would have been mm, quarter to nine, 8.30 or so, the story of what went up on the road was starting to get around the school, as gossip does. 
Now, first reports were that some of the nursing staff or at the school, that's what they first said, had been murdered in the early hours of the morning. Now, as a kid, you hear of this kind of thing in the news, but never expect it to happen so close to home. I suppose that depends on where you live. Well, that was my experience anyway. And you hear of gangsters being murdered or spouses being murdered or whatever. You don't so much hear of multiple murders of random people. So, what went on that Friday morning? Well, it actually started the day before, and then we'll have to go through what happened. Anyway, 27-year-old Samuel Leonard Rustin Boyd was a pest exterminator for Grace Brothers Pest Elimination at the time. Boyd had immigrated with his family from Scotland around 1966 at the age of 11. It wasn't long before he would be in trouble with police and would spend time in juvie and adult institutions. He resided at Lansdowne Caravan Park, a short drive up the road from Liverpool. And, of course, Liverpool was a short drive up the road from Glenfield. At 27, he already had a long criminal record. So on the Thursday, the 21st of April, Boyd had two jobs. One was booked for him at Cronulla and the other where he sprayed 245T on blackberry bushes at Warumbee. Now, 245T is a chlorophenoxyacetic acid herbicide used to defoliate broad-leafed plants. Now, if you mix 2,4-D with this in equal parts, you get Agent Orange. So you can imagine what the toxicity of all that shit was. And they just blast it around the backyard. Boyd wasn't sure if he'd worn a mask while using the chemicals. And after finishing both jobs, he went home. Then he decided to go to a pub. Now, this was the Arch Bar in Liverpool. And he went there, as he says, to have some beers to kill the taste of the chemicals. I guess people back then, and I mean, it wasn't that far back, used to spray this stuff, probably dodgy masks like the ones they used for COVID, all this sort of stuff, and it'd just get into your skin and it'd get, just get in. Anyway, at the pub, he had about between 8 to 12 schooners of beer and two bourbons and cokes. Now, a schooner in New South Wales is 425 mils or around 15 imperial fluid ounces. So that's that's quite a bit of beer. I mean, even Jason Abercrombie would have to agree with me there. Now, Boyd would run into his friend or acquaintance, 27-year-old plumber Gregory Wiles, who lived with his family at Minto. Now, he was out celebrating his first paycheck in a year. He decided to go to Liverpool to do some shopping and go to the disco. Now, Greg's mum had said that he was really excited after finding a job as a labourer just 10 days earlier. He'd been out of work so long that it meant so much. And she said he was a quiet, warm person. Now, Boyd and Greg Wiles left the Arch Bar and proceeded to the Scaramouche Disco. Now, that was up the road in Liverpool. Boyd drank more beer and a couple of rusty nails, which is a cocktail made from three-quarter ounce of Drambuie and one and a half of Scotch whiskey. And hi to Nina from Already Gone, who's the cocktail queen of true crime, if you've been seeing any of her Facebook posts lately. I'll just turn my phone off there. It's annoying, isn't it? Anyway. 
I had this Scaramouche place. I, I I tried to find exactly where it was. I didn't know what the name of the disco was first. It, apparently, it was supposed to be the RSL where Greg wanted to go, but he probably got diverted with Boyd once he met him. I actually asked my sister. And she knew exactly where it was. And I said, yeah, out of anyone I know, she would have known, probably with all the frizzed up hair in the 80s and all that sort of stuff and the funny jumpers. Anyway, now at about 3 a.m., according to Boyd, he left with Greg to drive him home to Minto. A little bit a little bit pissed in the car, I'm sure. But, yep, that's what they did. They were going to drive home to Minto. Now, Minto, it's probably... I don't know, a good 20 minutes away from Liverpool. Anyway, driving up that, after that much piss in your system is probably not a great idea, nor is getting in the car with someone else who's in that state for all you youngsters out there. Anyway, according to Boyd, and I would take whatever he says with a grain of salt, on the drive to Greg's place, which back in the day, like I said, might have taken about 20 minutes or so. They didn't have all these freeways back then. He says he smoked Two joints with Greg. That sounds like a song. Smoke two joints in the morning. Anyway, he smoked two joints with Greg, and Boyd said Greg then gave him something out of a tissue and told him to roll another joint. I wonder what that was. Now, Boyd said he did that, and that three or four puffs later, he couldn't remember anything after that. Now, that's the important bit he should have tried to remember because this is where all this shit goes down. Now, I think this happened if he did smoke joints with Greg at or near Quarter Sessions Road at Glenfield. Now, that was down towards Macquarie House, so it's right down and around the corner on Quarter Sessions Road. It was a totally secluded area where the cops wouldn't bust you, so it would be the sort of place where if you're going to smoke a few joints in the car, yeah, it's a really good place. there. I know a few other places too, actually, around the area where it would be good to just be in a secluded place, so to speak. Now, Greg wouldn't make it home that night. Now, it's here that Boyd would attack Greg, bashing him over the head with a hammer, dumping him out of the car on the side of the road, and he drove off, leaving him for dead. Now, why did he do it? Who knows? Maybe he tried something on Greg and got knocked back. I really have no idea. Now, Boyd then drove up to the Glenfield Special School. That's just up the end of the street. Now, this place had live-in residents and was manned 24 hours a day, with some staff sleeping there at night. There were three female supervisors at at the school that night, 57-year-old Helen H., and I will just say H because in the court documents, she, well, her family didn't want her name, 34-year-old Patricia Volchik, and 58-year-old Olive Short. Now, Boyd was familiar with the school as his mother, Leonora Boyd of Stanmore, had worked there and he'd actually gone to visit visit her there while she was working previously. In fact, he'd met Miss H and Mrs Short or Miss Short when he'd gone there. Now, Olive Short would describe what happened. Now, she said she was woken by a loud scream in the middle of the night. She said, I heard a man's man's voice speaking very softly. When I got up, he was standing in the doorway. I put my dressing gown on and opened the door. She said that when she opened the bedroom door, she saw Boyd, 
who she didn't recognise at the time, even though she had met him before, and he was standing in the hallway with two other dormitory supervisors, Patricia Volchik and Helen H. Now, they were both naked. Now, she said he had a knife in one hand. It had a red handle and a four-inch blade, and it had blood on it. Boyd said to her, Go back to your room and take your clothes off. Do as you're told, as I've already killed one tonight. Now, Olive Short said Boyd pushed them all into her room where she took off her nightie and dressing gown and he told her he would kill her if she didn't. Now, if you think you might be triggered by the detail I'm going to go into for the next minute, please fast forward. You may be a family member. You may just get triggered by this, but it is a bit gruesome. I have cut a little bit of it out. Okay, Boyd, then ask Olive Short if there were any 18-year-old girls asleep around because he wanted to have sex with them. He then sexually assaulted Patricia Volchik and forced Miss H to perform sex acts on Olive Short under the threat of death. Olive Short then tried to run off to set off an alarm in the hallway, but before she could reach reach it, Boyd caught her and punched her in the face. Now, he pushed her back into the bedroom and stabbed her in the back. Boyd then made them each tie tie each other up, and they were gagged with torn-up pillowcase. Boyd then went from one to the next, stabbing them repeatedly in the throat. Now, they were both tied, all three of them were tied up and on the bed. Olive Short, although stabbed, get this, 27 times in her throat, She closed her eyes and played dead in the hope he would stop. She opened her eyes just a little bit to see Patricia Volchik being pushed off the bed and Boyd stamping on her and kicking her. Boyd left and Olive was able to untie her hands but heard Boyd return, but he didn't enter the room. Now severely injured, Olive waited for the day staff who were due to turn up to work. At 6.30am, Gwent Ryan, day supervisor at the school, arrived for work but found the front door locked. She, she called the ground supervisor, Eric Beaumont, to open up with the spare keys and they were treated to this gruesome scene. Police and ambulances were called and they raced to the scene. Olive Short was still alive and rushed to hospital. The surgeon, Dr Gottley, who operated on her, said the reason she didn't die was because a large clot had formed in the jugular vein which had prevented a massive hemorrhage. If the blood had not collected, she would have been dead. Sadly, Patricia Volchik and Helen were both dead. Helen had 25 incised wounds in a horizontal direction across the front of her throat, with the cartoid artery being severed, and her trachea and thyroid cartilage cut three times. A plastic bag had been packed into her mouth, The cause of death was external hemorrhage due to incised neck wounds. Patricia Volchik had 22 wounds, each of 1 to 3 centimetres, in the front of her neck, with underlying arteries severed, including the cartoid artery, and her trachea had been cut. There was a piece of the end of a knife in her scalp. The cause of death was the severed cartoid artery and multiple neck wounds. Now, At around 7.15am that morning, John Bowler, research station manager at the veterinary research station, and that was just up the road opposite Hurlston, 
discovered Greg Wilde's body not far from the school on the on the side of Quarter Sessions Road. Like I said, this was he must have been right down near Macquarie House, dri- driving down there for some reason, and that's where Greg's body was. Now Greg was lying face down; his head was severely battered, and his trousers were down around his ankle. So that's where I think maybe Boyd tried something on Greg and didn't got a bit of a knockback. That's why I think that happened. Anyway, Boyd had at this stage driven back to his place at Lansdowne Caravan Park where Peter Fredericks, a groundsman from Sale in Victoria, he saw Boyd covered in blood from head to toe and was staggering. He was approached and said that he couldn't remember anything after leaving the Scaramouche disco and he requested that the police be called. So this is Boyd saying this to Peter because Peter was his next-door neighbour in the caravan park. He was taken to a caravan and he put a red-handled pocket knife on the table. Now, Boyd was arrested that day and after 12 hours of interrogation, he was charged with four counts of murder and one of attempted murder. You see, he'd already been questioned months before. Now, he's killed three that day. So what? what's this other murder, eh? You see, he'd already been questioned months before over the murder of 27-year-old separated mother of two, Rhonda Salia, at Rundle Road, Busby, on September the 12th, the previous year. Now, Boyd had sprayed her backyard for weeds on one Monday in August. It's not exactly sure which Monday. Now, he returned on the night of the 12th of September and was able to gain entry to Rhonda's house. Now, whether or not that was through the back door that might have been unlocked or whatever, but he did know the house and he did know the area. Here, it looks like he got knocked back for sex by Rhonda. So he cut her throat and let her die in the hallway. Now, I know at least one of her two kids were at home at the time. Now, get this 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 is a little bit strange but i i guess people return to the scene of the crime police arrived at ronda calia's a salia's home at 8 30 a.m on monday the 13th of september 1982 in response to a telephone call by boyd now boyd had said in the call that he had arrived at the house a short time earlier to find a body inside the house Now, he took the police to the rear of the house. The police opened a fly screen door and saw Rhonda Salia's naked body lying in the hallway. Now, a closer inspection of her body revealed a blood-stained child's dress over her face and a gaping laceration of her throat. Now, her body was lying on its back with the legs apart. There were bruises and abrasions about her genital area pantyhose, panties and a dress were in the hallway a short distance from her body. Now, when interviewed by police that day, Boyd said that he arrived at Rhonda's home at around 8.30am on the 13th of September 1982 and parked out the front. He said that he jumped the fence as the gate was padlocked and walked up to the front door. After knocking on the front door, he said that he heard a baby crying inside the house and there was no response to his knocking. So he went around to the side of the house and walked up to the back landing. He said that he saw the screen door was closed, but the back door was open. He said that there was no response when he knocked on the screen door and said hello. He said that the light on the porch above the back door was on, 
He looked through the screen and saw a body. He says, The head of the body was facing towards the back door. The body was on its back. I could still hear a baby crying and saw Miss uh, saw Rhonda's baby in the doorway of the kitchen. The baby was on its knees. The baby was close to the body. I opened the screen door and entered the house. I went up to the body. The body was of a female. The body was naked and the throat had been cut. He then said that he picked up and cleaned the baby with a towel in the bathroom, then contacted police. What a sick, sick fuck. He murdered this woman the night before with her kids asleep in their beds and he goes back the next morning to check out his kill. I mean, he even calls the police. I mean, what the fuckity fuck. Like I said, police had interviewed Boyd over this murder but didn't have enough evidence to charge him. Now, there were several witnesses that would give evidence that they saw a Holden utility, the same as Boyd's, near Rhonda's house at the time. And one witness, John Russell, had told police at the time of her murder that he'd spoken to a man who walked from the back of Rhonda's house who had asked if he'd needed help. Now, this was the night before. John Russell had run out of petrol right near Rhonda's place. Now, actually, John had to call the NRMA, which is the National Roads and Motorists Association, to bring him petrol to get his car going. And it looks like it was the NRMA that told police that John was in the area at the time of the murder because it was all over the news. The NRMA would have said, hey, we got a call from the that area the night before linked it to John, and then John has told them about this guy that was coming out the backyard of Rhonda's place. Now, police initially contacted him, maybe as a suspect in the murder. This is John. Still, he gave a description of Boyd to police, but it just didn't seem to be enough to get him at the time, and they did interview Boyd. He had the same sort of car. He knew the where to walk around the house because he'd done work there before. Now, Boyd, in the meantime, now he'd been going around to parties and that. He'd been talking to his wife or his ex-wife at the time and friends. He was going around calling him, calling himself the Busby Ripper. That's where Rhonda's house was in Busby. Going around calling himself the Busby Ripper. If only, if only. Only the police had been able to get hold of him back then. In January 1985, Boyd was convicted on four counts of murder and one of malicious wounding and sentenced to five consecutive terms of life imprisonment without parole. So obviously that's during the trial. Now, he did try to appeal, but this failed. Of course, later we had legislation in New South Wales that meant Boyd could appeal to get an a determined sentence or a minimum sentence. In 1994, he applied for this, but again failed with the judge calling Boyd's crimes the worst category of murder. In 2016, this is not long ago, Boyd, now 61, he was putting in another appeal and he offered to undergo chemical castration to try and get parole. He told the judge he was a devoted Christian. He had an on-off relationship with a woman and had not had any deviant fantasies. Hmm. 
Now, even though he long denied the murder of Rhonda and said he didn't remember anything on the night he killed those three people in Glenfield, he now said that he was still unable to explain what actually happened on that night and morning. I am responsible. Those people suffered by my actions, my hands and my doing. But he still denies murdering Rhonda Salia. Now, luckily for the victims and their families, Boyd's application was refused and he will spend the rest of his life in prison. Now, well, Islanders, as I said, this was pretty much a hometown case and it was right next to my school. Now, Boyd, he was just a loser. He was just a criminal from a young age. But somehow he just escalated his criminality, so to speak. And I guess there's people out there that are going to do the same sort of thing as him. They'll get through the justice system. They'll get slaps on the wrist to start with. They might even do time. And then when they get out, they'll escalate and escalate and escalate, just like Peter DePass. But this bloke, and I just still don't understand why he did it, a drunken rage, frustration, sexual deviation, I don't know. But he went and hammered that poor young bloke in the head. He took out those three ladies, two of them he murdered, and the other one severely injured. And he went and murdered this mother, who probably did also knock him back for sex. For what? For nothing. Anyway, Islanders, it's a short, sharp case this week. Like I said, it was my hometown murder. There's really hardly any research on this at all. I actually read all the newspapers of the time. Luckily, I had the Sydney Morning Herald from my newspapers.com subscription. I was just reading the court uh, reports that the reporters were putting in each day. And there was a little bit in some court records that I was able to verify the court reporter. Okay, Islanders, well, that's about it for tonight. So let's get to the Patreon. And thanks to all my past and present patrons for your financial support. It does make a difference as True Crime Island is a commercial commercial free-for-all. There's no ads at all. Now, thank you all so much. It's very appreciated, especially thanks to Josh who upped his membership this week. Thanks, Josh. If you want to join Patreon, it's patreon.com forward slash truecrimeisland. Now, if anyone has missed any emails for Patreon rewards or you think you qualify for a Patreon reward, please get in touch with me. If you don't like the monthly thing, you can also donate to PayPal. PayPal link is donate.truecrimeisland.com. Now, of course, as I always say, I always say lots of things, actually. Support yourself before you support the island. I know times are tough for a lot of us out there at the moment. Now, I have merch at Threadless and Redbubble now, so go to Redbubble and search for True Crime Island. You'll find me at Threadless there as well. If you have any problem with merch, please let me know and email them with your details. They will sort it all out, but please let me know as well. Now, I will be running a promo for a limited edition hot pink logo t-shirts. So instead of the aqua inside the logo, it's which is blue now, 
It's hot pink. This will run for three weeks. What we will do, you can order within that time frame. After that, they will be produced and shipped. They will just be limited edition hot pink ones. With, I thought I'd start off with the hot pink. It looks all right, actually. I wouldn't mind getting one myself. Now, this is with Bonfire. I will upload a link and image to Facebook and Twitter this week. I've already put the image at Facebook, but no link. If you don't have either of those, which I don't blame you that you don't have Facebook or Twitter, drop me an email and I'll send you a link. Now, my email is cambo at truecrimeisland.com. That's also the best way to contact me. If you message me through any of like Facebook, Twitter or whatever, it's really hard to search for your uh, email, especially when I have to dedicate the show that you might have suggested just like this one. And I can't think for the life of me which of our islanders suggested this one. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing, also by sharing it with your friends and family. Now, most of the, I won't say all the links, most of the links, including social media, are on my website, truecrimeisland.com. Please feel free to check out my YouTube channel and subscribe. Now, I think there will be a giveaway at 1,000 subs. That's coming up very soon, so a bit more motivation to have a look. And thanks to all those who have subs. Please feel free to comment there, subscribe, and get if you want notifications, hit that little bell. So it's another way to see, oh, to listen in and see me on the island. If you want to contact me, the best way is Cambo at truecrimeisland.com. Like I said, hi to our new Facebook mod, Tony. Thank you so much, as well as Abby and Jason. Okay, that's about it. I've been your host, Cambo. You've been listening to True Crime Island. And as I always say, don't forget to delete your browser history. Good night. Boom fuckalunga. Woo. I think that's the first time I've got through this without a 